Blog Talk Radio. yourself some black rifle coffee got mine i'm drinking the the drink coffee or die remember when you get do black black rifle coffee you buy a bag you give a bag coming up here standing by in the balanced green room is adam jividen super brown fan as we continue to tweak our our draft board as we get ready for the uh, draft coming up here very, very soon, and we'll have uh, certainly our very own uh, draft board put together for you right before draft. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, man, also Steve Wilson uh, from uh, Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, joins us and talks with us about NASCAR down in Richmond, and Tony Donahue the Tony D Podcast joins us to talk with us a little bit about IndyCar down in Birmingham at, at Bar- Barber Motorsports. My name's Tom Marquis. El Presidente. Dick around. It's about to get good. Tonight. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Pass the ball, pass the rock. 
Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. For unbelievable. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Right. No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. No, they're my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Oh, hi. Uh, hey. Seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted, so I don't, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Lekwa Pique, which of course in the Indonesian language, oh, let me finish. In the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they investor philanthropists? Do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes, but it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wanting. Do you have any? You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to order it. They make it fresh and roasted. Okay. Right. Black Rifle Coffee. That's good. Time to kick things off. 917-889-8516 is our digit, and we're tweaking and <clears throat> fine-tuning our draft board as well as continuing to uh, stay on top of the NFL and helping us do that today. Adam Jevedin, Super Browns fan. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Tom. How are you doing this Saturday? Never better. Always good on a Saturday, right? Now, if you had asked me that 10 minutes ago before I got my Black Rifle coffee, you may have got some moans and groans. (laughs) (laughs) Man, but you don't need coffee to get going. You're always just ready to rock and roll. You bet. Uh, I'm not a a coffee uh, aficionado, (laughs) can I say. All right. So let's uh, get into this. Let's kind of tweak some things. and Let's talk a little bit about – uh, some action going on there in the Browns, and I know that uh, you have a man crush on the Browns owners there. But let's talk about some of the things that have happened with the Browns this week. Obviously, uh, they uh, just recently released uh, defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson. It saved them $11 million versus the salary cap. Does that make sense for the Browns, Adam? I, I think it was a move. It was a move that, that was hard. Um, they, uh, you know, we, we were looking at the potential of having 
uh, Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett um, on the ends, and Sheldon Richardson, uh, and, and then, you know, a rotation of, of other players at the defensive tackle position. Uh, what the move does is it not only saves them $11 million now, and this is what the Browns are looking at, is it not only saves them $11 million now, but it also saves them the ability to restructure guys next year, like um, Joel Batonio or J.C. Treader. So what it allows them to do is still draft best player available, and they still have a deep rotation at defensive tackle. Uh, they have um, newly signed Malik Jackson, who is the same age as Sheldon Richardson. Richardson historically has shown a little bit better um, uh, numbers um, from that defensive tackle spot, but they have uh, Malik Jackson. They have second-year now player Jordan Elliott, the rookie last year from Missouri. Um, they signed Andrew Billings from Cincinnati, who was expected to start last year, um, but he set out due to, due to COVID. Uh, he was one of the players who's, who had a child that is would have been considered at risk, and he was like, I'm not risking the, the life of my kid, um, uh-huh. as any good parent would. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then they also signed Sheldon Day um, for you Notre Dame fans. Um, they signed him last week. They actually picked him up. He was injured last year. They picked him up, had him on the IR, and then re-signed him uh, on the same day that Jadavian Clowney was signed. So they still have a solid four-man rotation, and they really liked the way that Jordan Elliott developed. Um, there is a chance that I, – I mean, I, I think for the Browns, Christian Barmore is still going to be a distinct possibility at defensive tackle um, at 26 or maybe even moving up um, to, go, to go get him. I, I think that I could see a scenario where Tommy Togiai from Ohio State um, knows uh, – sorry, the dogs are probably nothing – um, <laughs> Tommy I will probably be available in the late second, early third. The Browns have nine picks, and it's pretty much well established at this point. There's no way they're using all nine. No chance. They're likely either going to move up to go secure somebody they really like, or there's a lot of talk in Cleveland now that the Browns may just slide back uh, a few spots to get, to to secure some some draft picks for next year. So I, I, it, they have tons of flexibility with that Clowney signing. I think the hope is that Clowney would would do well um, and enjoy playing with Miles. And and one of the things that they've even discussed and they discussed it in this initial press conference is that when we're in obvious passing situations only having one defensive tackle on the field anyway, because what they're going to do is have Miles on the, on the left, bring in Tack McKinley, the other pass rusher they signed earlier in this offseason. He'll play on the right. They'll kick Clowney inside and only have one defensive tackle, whether that's Elliott, Billings, or uh, Malik Jackson. Well, Adam, uh, let's talk a little bit about that Clowney acquisition, if you will, $10 million one year. I mean, you've got to look at this. I I can see where you would want him. I, I mean, he's certainly a very valuable player when he's on the field. Now, there's where I, I separate logic from does this make sense and, and throwing good money after bad. Does it make sense with the Browns for one year 
to to grab a guy for ten million dollars, pay him significantly more than anybody else was willing to offer him, uh, to on a gamble that he's going to be on the field more times than not. I, I mean, I think in this scenario, it's a one-year deal worth eight million actual. Um, it's a incentivized up to ten. Gotcha. With his talent, I think that's a risk you take when you have that cap space available. Because, again, we're not talking a, a three-year deal worth $16 million a season, which is what he was seeking last year. And I think you take that risk at one year, $8 million, because if they don't have the, the salary cap space could roll over to next year. But the Browns are, the Browns are looking at the Super Bowl right now. They're looking at this going, okay, where do we have a couple missing pieces? And the reality, too, is if Clowney is right, um, and maybe he can restore some of those stats that we saw when he was healthy and playing opposite a healthy J.J. Watt, where he had, I believe, 12 and a half sacks, was a, a, a top five candidate for defensive player of the year. If he puts that kind of season together opposite Miles Garrett, good grief. I mean, the Browns are going to – are going to give people all kinds of problems. Um, and this defense, which was much, much maligned last year, is now like, freakishly good. At uh, every level, you have really good players. And we saw the draft coming. I mean, the Browns, to the point that the Browns are many, many NFL analysts across uh, the different networks are saying Browns had the best offseason of anybody. And they didn't, I mean, they spent, but they didn't, like, go crazy and do things that, were, that are going to prohibit them in the future from doing things, which some other teams did. Like, I'm looking at, like, the New York Giants, for example. That, man, if the Giants don't pay off, they're going to have to, like, tear it all down in a hurry. So let's talk. Let's let's tweak our draft board a little bit here, and then we'll get on to some of the other teams here. We're talking with Adam Jevin and Super Browns fan. Uh, a couple things I want to. A couple more things on the Browns I want to talk with you about. Well, related to the Browns or related to what you know about, one of those would be Justin Fields. Looks like San Francisco is really going to try to hang on to that number three spot. Not sure if that if New England's going to trade up like we talked about. Uh, as it sounds, and I and I talked to some other people out in the Bay Area this week uh, who really think that Justin Fields is the best man for the job. We talked offline a little bit about it, uh, but do the San Francisco 49ers uh, go, you know, hog wild and do whatever they can do to make sure that they secure that number three pick, don't trade out of that pick, uh, assuming that Justin Fields is going to be there and that's going to be their franchise quarterback in assumption and in theory. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to trade out of it, seeing as how they traded up to go get it. Um, everybody already has Zach Wilson basically already locked in to the, Giants, to the Jets. And I, 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 if that's who they want, again, I said this last week, go for it. Justin Fields, I, I, I don't look – I don't see any, whether it's statistics, tape, nothing – where I would look at Justin Fields and say, Zach Wilson is better than Justin Fields. And that's not as an Ohio State fan. I would, I would look at the tape on anybody and, and say that's the case. I, I, I don't understand why it's, it's automatically been a foregone conclusion that Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in this draft. Uh, I, I think a lot of these draft, quote-unquote, draft gurus 
make up their mind years in advance and then push the narrative to make sure that they stay accurate. Um, I think Fields goes – if Fields is available for the Niners at three and they don't take him, they just lost their collective minds because Justin Fields with Kyle Shanahan – you know, there's every metric that you look at, you go, he is the guy that should be taken in that slot. I think he should go, too, um, if, you, if you have the presumptive that Trevor Lawrence is going number one. Um, but I, I think that's the thing is, I, 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 am, if I am the San Francisco 49ers because every advanced statistic has Justin Fields ahead of the field, not just Trevor Lawrence, or not ahead of everybody but Trevor Lawrence, ahead of everybody. He had the highest completion percentage on third down. He had the highest completion percentage under pressure on third down. He had the highest completion percentage um, throwing to a secondary receiver. He had the highest completion percentage on downfield throws. Like the list literally goes on and on. There was uh, something that was put out by Mark Sanchez a couple weeks ago that said it was talking about there's a there's a and it's not um the 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 test that's always taken uh at the combine there's another test that's administered to professional athletes and incumbent draft prospects across all sports it's been taken like he said like 6600 times okay and uh and justin field had the highest score not the highest score of this draft class the highest score ever. They're saying this guy, his first two college offers were from Harvard and Stanford. He's incredibly smart. He's carried a 4.0 while at Ohio State. I mean, the, the guy is everything you would look for in a quarterback, and I feel like San Francisco had to make that move for Justin Fields. I think the Mac Jones, the Mac Jones stuff started because – ESPN loves them some uh, Alabama football. Because that was the first place you saw it. Prior to San Francisco moving up, we were seeing Mac Jones drafted in the 15s to 20s, not three. So that's, I think Justin Fields makes all the sense in the world. And, and San Francisco is a scary good team, headlined by an, a Buckeye on the offense and a Buckeye on the defense with Nick Bosa. So, staying on the uh, San Francisco 49ers for a second, they just spent a, a buttload of money. They backed up the Brinks truck to keep uh, the G-Man. So, where does Justin Fields come into play here? I, I mean, the thing is, Garoppolo's contract, though, is non-guaranteed after this year. So, literally, after this season, I think what's going to happen is Garoppolo's going to play this year. He's going to get Fields, assuming Garoppolo doesn't get hurt, because it seems like he gets hurt every year. Uh, but assuming Garoppolo stays healthy, I think they'll, Garoppolo will start this year, and then next year they're going to cut him. It will take nothing off the cap, and then they move on to the Justin Fields there in San Francisco. That's probably what's going to happen. It'll, be, it'll play out very, very similar to what happened um, with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and Alex Smith. All right, let's talk a little bit about the draft board uh, right now. Uh, with the, and we'll, we'll start with Browser. We'll kind of just move around the league and, and just kind of talk about teams and, and how they might be tweaking things. The Browns are round one, pick number 26. A lot of people uh, think Greg Newsom, the second quarterback out of Northwestern, will be the guy to land that spot. But also Green Bay likes him, and he has that, offers that scheme flexibility that the Patriots love. 
Yeah, you know, Newsom is Newsom is a is a guy that you can slot anywhere from like fifteen to like twenty eight. Um, there's a lot of teams that like him. I I watched a fair amount of Northwestern this year. I like him, but the thing about him is he was while he was listed as their number one corner, the guy that usually covered the hardest cornerback wasn't wasn't Greg Newsom. It was uh, a freshman, and I apologize, I, I don't have his name um, offhand, but he was a freshman. He was, if you watch the Big Ten Championship game, he was the dude that had the ridiculous one-handed interception in the end zone against Justin Fields that you just kind of like tip your hat to. Um, that wasn't Newsom. That was uh, another guy, a freshman, that was really the best player on that Northwestern uh, front. For the Browns, I, the more I thought about this, the more I think they move up, especially if Caleb Farley, the cornerback from Virginia Tech, slides, I think they take some of those assets, move up maybe six, seven spots. It's not going to cost a lot, maybe like a third rounder, which they have two-thirds and two-fourths this year. So they have some of those extra picks. They can go up and grab Caleb Farley, the, the, the corner who was prior to the, the, the surgery he had right at the start of the offseason, he was considered easily a top like seven or eight pick, the best defensive player on everybody's board prior to that surgery. Um, so if they can get him because of a late slide, because of an injury, blah, that, that, that would be the, the home run move uh, for, for the Browns. We're talking with Adam Jimenez, Super Browns fan, helping us tweak up our draft board. Uh, the pro days are coming down to a, a close. Top five quarterbacks look like they to be set uh, in, in what order they'll come off the board. However, uh, remains to seen. But what all remains to see, we'll see how it plays out. But as we know by now, uh, you can put your house on the fact that Trevor Lawrence uh, to Jacksonville Jaguars at number one, and perhaps even Zach Wilson heading to the Jets at number two. Uh, why Alabama's Matt Jones or Ohio State Justin Fields are expected to land there with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, but that's not really where the buzz stops. I mean, let's look at this, this kid from Stanford, Davis Mills, who just made 11 starts across uh, two years of college, appears to be generating a lot of late buzz and a kind of a, uh, has had a very uh, impressive pro days. This could be a guy that comes out of the woodwork, and we're like, who's who, what, who, what? And remember a guy that got drafted late in the draft, and we said, who, what, who, what? His name was Tom Brady. Certainly not saying that Davis Mills is any Tom Brady, but who has heard, unless you live out there by the Stanford area, or you follow Stanford, have you heard of Davis Mills? I don't think anybody's followed a Stanford quarterback since Andrew Luck. Well, I don't know if you could say that because, like, their, their former starter, K.J. Costello, is now uh, the starter down in Mississippi State. So, at least I follow Stanford quarterbacks, Tom. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think th- this is the thing about Davis Mills. Davis Mills is a guy that he very well could pop. I kind of put him in that Jacob Eason spot where Jacob Eason was last year coming out of Washington, where, like, if he lands with the right organization and they put him in a position to succeed, uh, he could very well be, like, a multi-year starter or, at worst, 
of a really good backup. Now, the Colts don't know what they have yet in Jacob Eason, and I think that's going to be the case with Davis Mills. I think he'll probably go in, like, the, the third round. The, the next-tier quarterback that I like the most after watching in his tape um, is actually Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. Uh, Kellen Mond has a whole sure. lot of Dak Prescott in him. Um, well, he was, a, if, if he was Mond, the third quarterback in SEC. He was the third quarterback in SEC history, which surprises me that you like a guy in the SEC uh, to, to record a record over 9,000 career passing yards alongside his 1,500 uh, career rushing yards. I mean, the dude's a stud. Yep. Absolutely. Go ahead. He, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Mond is no, you're fine. Mond is a beast, and, and the thing about Mond is. That dude played with no receivers. Texas A&M's like, I'm pretty sure their number one receiver at Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson would be like the fourth or fifth at best. I mean, he, he was playing with, with some nobodies. And, and I think the thing about Kellen Mond is I look for him to be picked up by a team um, that maybe has, an, has a quarterback situation that's kind of up and up in the air, like a perfect landing spot for him would be uh, the New Orleans Saints. Um, depending on what happens in the first round for the Patriots, I could see the Patriots jump on him. Um, and he could very much have that Dak Prescott, as I mentioned, like ascendancy where you're like, what, what happened with this dude? The other thing that always does get thrown out there is the Tom Brady thing. And I was actually talking with a friend about the Tom Brady slide in six rounds that everybody just points to and nobody actually remembers. Tom Brady had like a second or a third round grade, but nobody knew if he was going to play football or baseball. And that's why he slid. So like, yeah, he was drafted in the sixth, but it wasn't like this guy was utter garbage. And then he gets, I mean, he was a starter at Michigan when Michigan was actually good. Um, when, when the Ohio state Michigan game wasn't a foregone conclusion that Ohio state's going to win by 30. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's a scenario Kellen Mond is the guy in that second bracket. The other guy that's getting no buzz, which is really weird, is Kyle Trask. Because Kyle Trask put up as good or better numbers than Mac Jones all season, and they're literally the same guy. Uh, neither one has a real big arm, but I like Trask better. He's more accurate than Mac Jones is. Mac Jones had a ton of bubble screens or little five-yard outs that Devontae Smith um, and that Alabama receiving core then would take like 70 yards to the house. He had the lowest amount of air yards per pass um, of all of the major quarterbacks. And when I'm saying not, not, the, not the best five, I'm saying pretty much every projected first-round quarterback – or not first-round, every projected drafted quarterback, excuse me, in this draft, Mac Jones had the lowest amount of air yards, which means that's how far he throws it in the air to get all of his yards, which means his receivers are doing – all of the work, whereas my guy Justin Fields had the highest number of air yards by a lot. Um, and, and so that's the thing. Is I think Mond could be good. Davis Mills, we just don't know. The Pac-12 this last year, with their start-stop, which was even worse than the Big Ten, um, their defenses were a disaster. And that's a guy that I think, again, if he goes to the right situation, if he goes to a New Orleans, if he goes to – a Tampa Bay, Tampa could look at one of these guys, um, whether that's Davis Mills or Kyle Trask, where it's very low risk. Because at some point when Father Time, like, runs over Tom Brady with the train and he finally decides that he can't get up, uh, they're going to have to have a guy. And I could see 
any one of those three guys in the late second round get picked up by Tampa as the, hey, let's groom him and let's see what we got similar to what New England was planning on doing with Jimmy Garoppolo. Talking about Adam Jovet, only got you for a couple more minutes here. And certainly uh, this week, uh, IndyCar uh, returns uh, down in uh, uh, Birmingham and looking forward to the Indianapolis 500. So what a better way to end our segment by calling it the need for uh, speed. The top 10 unofficial 40-yard uh, pro days that finished at a 4.37 or higher uh, for the 40-yard dash. Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn. Ron, uh, Rondell Moore out of Purdue, Eric Stokes out of Georgia, Shai Smith out of South Carolina, Kerry Vincent, LSU, Racy McMath, LSU, Elijah Moore, Ole Miss, um, Jay, uh, Jason Awal, I'm going to mess that one up, I did, and I'll just move on, Penn State, J.C. Horn, South Carolina, Avery Thomas, Michigan, and even uh, another guy, I'm really not dogging on Stanford. I just, I, I, the window was there. It wasn't even planned in my notes. But we do have a Stanford guy, Timai Foco, who was also among those to record an unofficial 4.37. We got some fast guys out there. Where do they go? Where do they land? Looking at this top 10 chart in the draft, Adam. Yeah, I, you know, this year, this year's a. Because LSU had, like, everybody run under, like, a sub-4-4. Four, four. People were like, yeah, that's that's not – something. something's weird. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think a few things. I think – I personally, if the Browns don't go – like, if Barmore goes early, they don't move up for a corner, I would love to see Rondale Moore as a slot receiver in Cleveland. Uh, Elijah Moore is pretty highly ranked. Uh, several teams that are needing receivers um, in that late first – uh, early second, another guy that had a blazing 40 um, during the season, but he actually like tweaked his hamstring so he didn't run, is Dwayne Eskridge um, from Western Michigan. Um, keep an eye on him. He could be an early second-round pick. Um, Terry Vincent is a guy that I think he had first-round buzz at the start of the season, and, and LSU just had a really rough year defensively. Um, I think he could be a candidate if the Browns, for example, don't go corner in the first. Kerry Vincent could be available in the third um, from what we're seeing uh, across the board. I, I, I think this is a year where guys, because you don't have that combine height, uh, I think you're going to see less of these guys that go get overdrafted because of their speed. And you turn on their tape, they're like, okay, he's fast, but he doesn't actually know how to use his speed. Um, which, which can oftentimes happen with some of those receivers. We saw that out of John Ross in Washington. Like, yeah, he's, he's fast. He holds the combine record for fastest 40 ever, but can he run anything besides, like, a, a nine route? And the answer was no. <laughs> so I, I, I think that you've got some really good fast guys in there. Um, like I said, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore um, are, are projected in that first, early, second round. Um, if Rondale Moore doesn't go in the first round, I would not be shocked at all if uh, Urban Meyer took him um, with the first pick in the second round. Because remember, Rondale Moore almost single-handedly demolished uh, Ohio State in, in West Lafayette in the, uh, two, two years ago um, in that shocking upset, and that was Urban Meyer's final season. So Urban is well familiar with Rondale Moore. I could absolutely see that happen. Um, and, and then some of those other guys, you know, they'll, they'll slot in. 
Um, again, I don't think we're going to see that overdraft of the crazy speed guys like we have in the past because there's not that hype post-combine, which makes GMs kind of like move guys up just off of a 40 time. Adam Jimenez, Super Browns fan, thank you for joining us. I know you can't enjoy, uh, join us when, when we have our, our final draft board put together. I know you're going on vacation. I can come with, next week. Okay. I can come okay. next week. I can't be there for the draft, but I can oh, come next week. Oh, I got you. Week. Fantastic. We'll plan on having you uh, next week, sir, and uh, have yourself a good weekend. Be safe out there. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Tom. We'll see you. Adam Jividen, Super Browns fan, joins us talking with us as we tweak up our draft board. Coming up around the corner here, uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, is on his way to Richmond, Virginia, to talk with us a little bit about uh, this weekend's race in uh, Virginia. And then also still to come, Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast, IndyCar Returns. We're going to be talking about that as well as with the up-and-coming Indianapolis 500 right here on the Balance Radio Network. Stick around. You can whip your Porsche. I've been in the valley. You ain't been up off that Porsche now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Riding on a tractor, lean all in my butt. Cheated on my baby. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barber sharp quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance morning face you get is when you don't sleep well this is what happened to linda morning guys good morning ah, what is that thing it's me linda oh my god it talks Run! no it's me linda from hr it looks hungry save the children save them stay back i've got moving. it's called beauty sleep for a reason and there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home.
Oh, hi. Uh, hey. Seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. Huh? Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted. So, um, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Lekwa Pique, which of course in the Indonesian language, oh, let me finish. In the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they investor philanthropists? Do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes, but it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wanting. Do you have any? You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to order it. They make it fresh and yeah, roasted. Okay. Right. Black Rifle Coffee. It's good. Uh, 
that uh, the Indianapolis 500 will be at full capacity. And if that trend continues, we'll also be able to have uh, a full capacity with the NASCAR uh, race here in Indianapolis. I'm actually going to be going to IMS after the show today uh, to get my vaccine or my Bill Gates microchip. I'm not exactly sure on that, but that's another topic. Tune over to my uh, Conspiracy Theory podcast. Uh, actually, there isn't one. It's just something to say. But joining us now, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, Editor-in-Chief of Speedway Digest. How is you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Sorry about that. I'm running just a few minutes behind today. Oh, that's okay. You know, do you have your Black Rifle Coffee? Because here's the thing. Black Rifle Coffee is great because you join the, the the club there. I'm a member of it. You buy a bag, you get a bag, and uh, you buy a bag and you give a bag. I'm sorry. So basically, you know, hey, it, it's, it's given to the troops, first responders, what have you. And you get to designate where your bag goes to. I, I choose the Army. But, uh, you know, I have a friend that's in the Navy. And, and her son is deployed, and all they serve on the ship as far as coffee goes is uh, Black Rifle Coffee. I'm trying now. I, I've, I've tried a few kinds now, but uh, I, and the one I, I the one I got this morning is the uh, uh, Coffee or Die. It's one of the good ones. And, of course, there's Blackbeard's Delight. There's Silence or Smooth. And the great thing about it, if, if you – if you uh, are familiar with the military, a lot of the coffees are themed named. Steve Wilson headed down to Richmond, sir. Hey, talk with us a little bit, and we're going to get into this race, but we were just kind of uh, talking a little bit when you hopped on here about where we were at a year ago as opposed to where we we're at now. Talk with us a little bit about the restrictions on fans in Richmond, media, what have you. What, are, what can we anticipate as far as fans being able to be at the race today? And certainly we know this week in, in Birmingham, uh, the IndyCar race opens up, and it's my understanding they're going to be close to full capacity. Of course, that's a road course that's very wide open space. Uh, but uh, what, what, what's going on there in Richmond? I know you're headed to that race, sir. Well, Richmond, just like Martinsville last weekend, under the order from the governor, is allowing 30% capacity inside the track uh, with social distancing and masks. Uh, the track is moving has uh, moved over like other tracks have to digital ticketing, uh, cashless concession stands. Um, you know the 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 typical uh, things to keep people less contact and further apart from one another. But uh, it's uh, it definitely over a year ago or even back in the spring where nobody was at this race. Um, it really it's really something, you know, that finally getting some fans back into the racetrack. And while, you know, I, I, I don't agree with 30% capacity. I think it should be more. Uh, there's plenty of space at Richmond to put more than 30% of people in there. Um, you know, it, it's not my call to make, it's not the track's call to make, but, you know, I just wish the people in charge would just listen and, you know, actually go out there and figure out that there is plenty of room out there for more than just 30% capacity. I totally, totally agree with you as well. Steve, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on on the action in the track there. Certainly we do want to talk 
uh, about uh, Sunday's Toyota Owners 400. Uh, it'll be certainly the, the third short track race in a row. But we got the trucks uh, first today. What's going on in the Camping World Truck Series, sir? Well, the trucks got uh, have been off for uh, since uh, Bristol a couple of weeks ago, so they're finally getting back in action uh, this weekend uh, at uh, Richmond for the uh, Toyota Care 250. Uh, these trucks came back last year uh, for the first time that they had been in about 13 or 14 years. Uh, so now they're going to start making regular stops back at the track, and I'm pretty happy about that. So this is the first time in about about 14 about 14 or so years that fans are actually going to be able to see the trucks return to Richmond in person. Well, there's no Xfinity race this weekend. They they are back on the track on August. Uh, I mean, August, April 24th for the Agpro 300 down in Dega. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the the, the uh, NASCAR Cup Series. As I as I mentioned, the Cup Series has been to Richmond Raceway this weekend after visiting Bristol and Martinsville over the last couple weeks. Sunday's Toyota 400 will be the third short track race in in a row. And in last week's 500-lap uh, uh, race at Martinsville, we saw Denny Hamlin and Ryan Blaney lead more than 150 laps. Last fall at Richmond, though, Brad Koloski led, up, led almost half the laps, but a total of five drivers led more than 40 laps. I expect maybe you do, too, a similar trend this Sunday. So hitting the top, uh, hitting the top drivers. Um, I look at uh, Martin Truex, who's got the pole. Let's talk a little bit about Richmond, the track, and, you know, what What kind of action can we expect this weekend for the Toyota Owners 400? Yeah, Richmond has become a track that in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of Joe Gibbs racing drivers win at that race track. Namely, Kyle Busch has won there on multiple different occasions over the last handful or so years. But... You know, we we do start seeing some of the uh, Brad Keselowski's and Martin Truex's uh, starting to come up and starting to uh, dominate this track also at the same time, as you already talked about. So, you know, I w- you're right. I would expect kind of the same trends to come back through again this weekend. Uh, but don't forget, you know, this is the last short track that we have until we go back, uh, come back to Richmond and of your, your, your last chances right now that if you feel like you've been wronged over the last couple of weeks on Bristol and Martinsville that you can maybe get a little bit of payback out there, you know, without, you know, without too much, uh, you know, too much uh, uh, damage to another car or even your car and be able to continue on. So uh, you definitely won't, don't want to start doing things like that next week at Talladega and as we go into small half race tracks, but you know, he, he, Richmond has been one of those tracks that we've seen over the years. Uh, uh, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Rudd, for example, uh, you know, have gone at one another uh, in, in these heated contests, uh, battling back and forth and getting into one another. And, uh, you know, you just got one more shot until the fall to, to really just, uh, you know, rattle up somebody's cage if you feel like you've been wronged. Well, I'm certainly excited about Talladega every, every year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I gotta always watch my Talladega night, shake and bake, baby, shake and bake, baby Jesus, you gotta watch Talladega Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can say that I've never seen Talladega nights, I've watched Days of Thunder probably 
uh, hundreds of times, but I have never seen Talladega Nights, not one single time. Uh, Steve, you need to be publicly shamed and shunned. A man of your caliber <laughs> should have the movie memorized. No. But, but uh, getting back on track, no fun intended. Let's talk a little bit about Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin's flat, uh, flat track uh, process was in full display last weekend, sorry, at Martinsville when he led 276 laps and logged 81 of the fastest laps and double-digit fastest laps and, and it pretty much have been the norm for him at Richmond. He, he led 45 laps and recorded 17 fastest laps in last year's race, uh, but had a speeding penalty that uh, ruined what was shaping up to be a pretty dominant night for Denny Hamlin last year. So he's going to be looking to uh, get, I wouldn't say payback, but to uh, finish uh, something that he started last year this year. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I said earlier that do a short track program is, you know, just they've, they've really, you know, we've always we've always talked about, like I said, Coppolish winning on the three-quarter mile track there at Richmond, but it seems like their overall process in these uh, short tracks have um, really come, come, to, come on par with, uh, you know, their mile-and-a-half program and et cetera. So, uh, you know, this this is Denny's hometown track right there that he grew up in Chesterfield, Virginia, so I'm sure he would love nothing more than a little bit of redemption after last week and what happened in Martinsville, uh, come back in and be able to win this race this weekend. So, uh, you know, I, 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 again, I think there's going to be some co- there's going to be some heavy competition at, 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 at Richmond this weekend, and, uh, you know, he'll have to, you know, he'll have to battle this thing out with the uh, a lot of other great short trackers that are in this, you know, out there today. And, you know, I was really impressed again with Ryan Blaney last week. You know, he, him and uh, Denny Hamlin did go out this for quite a bit of the race. Um, and, you know, he, uh, he, I was really impressed by his uh, driving ability and being able to keep up with uh, Denny Hamlin because Denny at uh, Martinsville has seemed to be, uh, you know, he, he, he's figured something out there at the same time, waiting as many laps as he did, but also just, uh, you know, he works the field and he works the traffic um, like uh, like nobody else. And I mean, it was it was really impressive to watch uh, Denny Hamlin go out there and work traffic like he did. But Ryan Blaney just stayed right there with him, uh, right on his rear quarter panel, uh, right on his uh, bumper almost the entire time. There's multiple times that I thought that Ryan was going to be able to get him in this last traffic, but you know, Denny was just a little bit stronger throughout the run. But you know, I. Uh, uh, Penske last week, it seemed like on short runs, uh, Ryan Blaney just couldn't keep up, but as soon as he got a few laps on those tires, it just seemed like that car became magic. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of redemption this week that he didn't win last week in his home state of, uh, you know, Virginia, so this gives him uh, a possibility of winning right in front of a hometown crowd. Talking with Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. I know you're on your way down there to Richmond. Check out Speedway Digest. Dot com, the foremost authority uh, in NASCAR racing and everything uh, everything NASCAR. Let's talk a little bit about Alex Bowman. Richmond hasn't been the strongest track overall. Still, Doma, Bowman, I'm sorry, finished a, a career-best ninth in last year's race and had a top-five run going at Martinsville last weekend before a loose wheel derailed his day. Hendrick cars have been fast all year and starting 24th on Sunday. Bowman is a top-ten threat. With the, with the differential points available uh, to post a very strong score at Richmond. 
Yeah, you know, Bowman, uh, you know, Bowman is, has uh, had his bright spots definitely earlier, early this year already. Uh, now he's moved over to the uh, 48 car, and I think a lot of people just have a lot of eyeballs on him to see what he can do with that car and with that number after Jimmy Johnson has obviously stepped out and did so many great things with it. Uh, I mean, he's been impressive pretty early on as it is. Um, you know, but when he comes into Richmond, you know, uh, again, I think, I, you know, I think we, we can look at, you know, top 10, top 15 out of him coming into Richmond. Not saying that that's not respectable or uh, not respectable at Richmond, but, but definitely, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not quite convinced of the fact that he's going to be able to get up there and uh, uh, run with some of the stronger cars that either are the JGR and the, the Penske cars and, uh, uh, you know, et cetera out there at Richmond. I, I, I think he'll struggle a little bit about running up front with those, uh, but I do think that there's plenty of places in there, but lower top 10, top, um, top 15, somewhere along in there to finish up the day. You know, another guy that I'm keeping my eye on this weekend, especially uh, who, who looks to increase in points, and I don't know if we'll call him a dark horse, but we can certainly put him in that possibility of being a dark horse this weekend, Austin Sendrick. He only has two cup starts under his belt, but Sendrick has been able to stay out of trouble and take advantage of place differentials as uh, category in both of them. He gained 24 spots and finished 15th in the Daytona 500, and he moved up 17 spots and finished 22nd at Atlanta. Cedric will have to start dead last again on Sunday, even if he just sneaks into the top 25. I think he'll still be looking at a respectable point total. Well, also Cedric is using this year because next year he's, uh, he's slated to take over the number 21 car um, from Matt Benedetto and Wood Brothers Racing, who's uh, an affiliate of Penske. So, you know, uh, these these are, you know, these are these are a lot of learning and logging labs. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, it's kind of a, a unique year in the fact that they're putting him in one of these generation cars to, to only switch over to a new generation of car next year. So maybe not everything he learns this year he's going to be able to apply to the new car. But, you know, at the same time, uh, it does get him it does get him uh, a little bit of credibility as he starts working with some of these drivers out there. Uh, maybe they get to know him a little bit better before he jumps in that number 21 car. Uh, and, and some of these drivers have come down to the Xfinity Series level and, and raced against him there. But, you know, it's giving him an opportunity to uh, this week to – or not only just this week, but I think he's got uh, somewhere around eight or so races this year that they're going to put him in a cup car. So it, 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 it's, a, it's an opportunity for him to log some laps, get some uh, respect from the other drivers out there. And, and you're right, you know, he came into the Daytona 500 and he passed a lot of cars. He did the same thing a couple of weeks ago. And he, and he seems like he's just going out there doing his thing, learning these cars, learning the people that are around him at the same time. And, uh, you know, it, it'll bode well for him as he goes into 2022, and he takes over the number 21 car full-time. You know, when we look at Eric Amarola, sorry, uh, Eric has really had a lot of bad luck in 2021. He's had some success and, uh, on, on the flatter tracks in the past, and, and his best finish date came at Phoenix when he finished 11th. He cracked the, t- the top 10 at Richmond last year, and he finished 16th in the fall uh, race in 2019. Uh, set to start 22nd, Eric uh, looks to, to be a solid uh, land in the top 15. 
Uh, so certainly we'll see how how that plays out. Eric Armalola, what are you what are your thoughts? And I know I always mess that last name up, but hey, we'll just call him Eric <laughs> with a name. <laughs> yeah, Armalola. Yeah, that's okay. No, um, you know I don't think it's just indicative of him. It seems like this year that Stuart Haas Racing as a whole has struggled. I mean, even take a look at some of the, some of the runs that Kevin Harvick has, and he's definitely uh, uh, the top tier uh, when it comes to. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing. So he's not necessarily been the best driver or been able to running up at, up at the top either. I mean, it's just, it seems like Stuart Haas Racing just totally this year has uh, just dropped off a cliff on their, you know, on on, on all of their drivers. Uh, Colt Custer is either him or is running well. Uh, Eric Alroll has had a lot of issues. Uh, we just, you know, at Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix was, uh, you know, has always been a track in which uh, Kevin Harvick has always been one of those drivers that, you know, we talk about talk, uh, not only just leading the race, but top three, top five. And, you know, there's been at least two occasions that he had to go to Phoenix and work himself into the final four uh, to make it into the championship. And when he was at Phoenix, I mean, he just, they just struggled all day long. It seemed like they never got anywhere. And I think at one point in the race, he, he even made the comment of the fact of, uh, you know, this is the biggest Paula ass that, you know, I've I've ever driven at Phoenix. And, you know, it's, you know, that's that's unusual. So I just don't think it's just an Eric Alvarola thing. I think it's an all of Stuart Haas racing problem at this point. And, and they've got a lot of work to do. I know it's early on, but they've got a lot of work to do to turn this program around. And, and hopefully, I mean, they, they may, you know, if they get into the top 16, and there's a lot of other drivers that I think at this point that are just going to be able to knock them out and put them out pretty quickly in the championship races later on this year if they don't turn something around. Well, we go from Eric with an A that ends with a C to Eric that begins with an E but actually ends with a K. Eric Jones, <laughs> a mechanical issue at Martinsville, had him starting 30th, but despite some equipment issues throughout the year, uh, Jones brings a, a 21.6 average finish into Richmond. He's been able to run inside the top 20 in his first year with, with Richard Petty Motorsports and has even managed a couple top 10s thanks to the differential points at his disposal. A mid-pack finish is all he will be able, all he will need to post a solid score this weekend at Richmond. Look, I think Eric comes into uh, Richard Petty Racing with a lot of talent behind him. And, you know, while these are, are virtually the same cars that Bubba Wallace ran last year, uh, it seems like in some of these some of these events that, uh, you know, they, that Richard Petty Motorsports have not done well in the last couple of years, has seemed to be able to do a little bit better on, on, on these. And, and Eric has already, like you said, scored a couple top tens very early on this year. So, you know, that program is heading in the right direction this year, both, um, you know, in terms of uh, their finishes, but also in, in hopefully, you know, changing this program around as they go forward and getting and scoring better finishes. And, you know, Richard Petty Motorsports, you know, right now continues to lead as uh, the the only organization that has won as many, you know, races as they had. Yeah, Hendrick Motorsports is clipping right onto them just a couple of races away. They just need a few more. But, you know, maybe maybe Eric Jones is the guy that they have tapped to potentially tack on another couple of wins and try and spread that out a little bit from Hendrick Motorsports on, on organizational wins. And, uh, you know, he, 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 
he has a lot of talent, an immense amount of talent. Cole Bush didn't have him to come into the cup, I mean, to the truck series and run his equipment, uh, you know, for no reason. I mean, those two battled it out one year in the snowball many years ago, but it also led to a more full-time program in both Xfinity and eventually in the Cup Series before uh, JGR had to make some substantial changes to get, you know, the drivers that they uh, felt most comfortable with in their organization. And I don't think that was anything against Eric and his talent. I just think that, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing was just looking to uh, – you know, fulfill their plan in the way that they saw their vision. And, you know, Eric, unfortunately, just wasn't part of that vision at the time. But that that gave Richard Petty Motorsports an opportunity to bring somebody in with an immense amount of talent that can come into these races and post solid finishes for an organization that has has long languished. I mean, it's been since Martinsville in, like, 98 or something like that since the last time that organization has even been to victory lane. So I think, you know, they, they've got a, they've got a, a very unique uh, talent in Eric Jones. And I think that, you know, as, as they work, not just this year, but they put him back in the car for next year, uh, that, that they will start getting uh, um, a turnaround in that organization and maybe get them back to victory lane one day in that number 43, that Petty May famous. We've been talking with Steve Wilson today on his way to Richmond. Steve, I appreciate you taking some time to jump on with us and talk some NASCAR uh, with us. I hope you, you're safe driving down there to Richmond. We'll be following you on Twitter. Where can people find your work at Masterpieces, sir? They can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. Thanks, Steve. Have yourself a good weekend, sir. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Dave Wilson, Speedway Digest, Editor-in-Chief of Speedway Digest. So make sure you follow him at Speedway Digest on uh, Twitter. And certainly log on there to SpeedwayDigest.com. A lot of great articles, a lot of great writers. Does a lot of coverage, mostly NASCAR, uh, Xfinity, Truck Series, but also IndyCar. And we're going to be talking some IndyCar coming up next. Uh, they roll into Birmingham at Barber Motorsports. And we are going to be getting Indy 500 talk under our belt as well. IndyCar is back 2021, and we'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Stick around. Quick stop, midnight tea top, Jack and her cherry coke town. Mama and daddy put the roots right here, cause this is where the car broke down. Yalla dog school bus, kicking up red bus, kicking us up by barbed wire fence. MTV on. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. 
With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. Oh, hi. Uh, I've seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? No, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted. So, um, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Le Pique, which, of course, in the Indonesian language... Oh, let me finish. In the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they investor philanthropists? Do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes. But it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wondering. Do you have any? You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to order it. Let me get fresh and roasted. Black Rifle Coffee. That's good. Welcome back to The Balance. Uh, thank you, Adam Jividen, Super Brown fan, who joined us in our first segment to help us tweak up our draft board, talk a little bit about what's uh, been going on with the Browns recently, and also just kind of talk about uh, our draft as we kind of tweak our draft board up as we get ready for the up-and-coming NFL draft. Steve Wilson joined us on his way down to Richmond. Uh, NASCAR rolls into Richmond uh, for the third short uh, track race in a row should be a lot of action uh, down there in Richmond and joining us now Tony Donahue the Tony D podcast IndyCar is back rolling down into Birmingham at Barber Motorsports and helping us break that down is Tony Donahue Tony Donahue from the Tony D podcast Tony how is you sir good how are we doing this morning Fantastic. Today is the day I go get my shot. I'm headed down to IMS uh, this afternoon, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be among the ones to get a shot today. Have you had your vaccination? So I got mine on Tuesday, and um, I ended up pretty much overnight, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, having the same symptoms as I had when I had COVID. My arm was sore oh, for man. about three days, and I was, I, I, I was lacking in the energy department, so I guess be ready for that. Well, I've heard both sides of it. I've heard that there's no issues, and then I've heard, you know, throughout the week this week that exactly what you said. And I thought, well, I thought, well, it's because it's a virus and in, in, in the vaccination, and they got to put it straight in the virus to to create the vaccination, which like they do with the flu or whatever. But I guess I was informed that that's not the case. That they they've got they were doing it some sort of other way this way. So we'll we'll see what happens. The good thing about it is I get to make my first trip to IMS this year. <laughs> it's been two years since I've been inside the tracks of, of IMS, and, and certainly that brings us to the topic at hand. Before we get to that, let's talk, if you've got any thoughts 
on Richmond. A lot of action in Richmond this weekend. Certainly Martin Truex Jr. Uh, leads the field. This is the third short track in a row. A lot of action on short track. Any thoughts on Richmond this weekend before we talk IndyCar? Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, I'm a big truck fan, so the trucks return today, and I, I always like yep. to um, watch the truck series race. That'll be fun today. Um, and, yeah, we'll see. You know, Martin Truex Jr. got on the right track last week at Martinsville. We thought that um, you know, Chase Elliott was going to be up there. Denny Hamlin had a great car, but but down the stretch, um, here comes the old crafty veteran and Martin Truex Jr. So, uh, should be a good one at Richmond. Look for guys like Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney to be towards the front, and uh, we'll see if uh, NASCAR can continue that streak of uh, of drivers of different drivers winning throughout the year. Yeah, we were just talking about that in the last segment, so hopefully uh, that ho- that holds true. Let's talk a little bit, uh, in keeping uh, on the COVID theme for just a moment, uh, IndyCar opens up this weekend. Always excited to see them way, uh, uh, open up. A little different to see them open up in Birmingham as opposed to St. Pete, but nonetheless, it's, it's good to see them back on the track. What do you know about how IndyCar is going to handle uh, the, the, the COVID issues, the fans, the drivers? And it's anticipated, as we look forward to next month, that we're going to pretty much have a full house down there at 16th and Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it's crazy that for two years in a row now, the season has not started at St. Pete after it started every year since 2010. Um, You know, I'm going to be launching my website today, Tony D&D. We're going to talk about the fantasy side of things. Um, Alabama has allowed a select amount of fans. Those tickets that were allotted sold out. Um, So good for them. As far as the 500, I don't think it's going to be a full house at all. I think you're going to see anywhere between 50 to 75% capacity. They've already sent out an email to season ticket holders to see who may want to stay home so they can reissue those tickets to people that may want to come. So, um, you know, I don't think it'll be a normal month of May, so to speak. Um, I think the focus right now is that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, along with the IndyCar Series with Roger Penske heading it, um, is that they have the Indy 500 on time and that they also have – as many fans there as possible. So um, I think you're going to look at 50 to 75%, which is still, you know, 150 to 175,000 people can get in there and, and still social, socially distance um, as much as possible with all those uh, massive grandstands and bleachers. So it'll, it'll almost feel like normal. It won't quite be um, just due to the fact that um, I don't think it's going to be hundred percent full go. Uh, but they're going to try to get as close as All right, let's talk about uh, Barber Motorsports and uh, the track down there in Birmingham. What can we look for in the opening uh, race of IndyCar? Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's pretty cool that, you know, the light series and some of the ladder series are back together as well. Um, there's a lot of storylines going into tomorrow's race. I think you first start with everybody's anticipating uh, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson running – um, his first ever IndyCar race, will he be behind a learning curve? Will he be a little bit off the pace? How does he, how does he evaluate himself after every practice? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of brain power in that room for Chip Ganassi racing. You'll have Scott Dixon. You'll have Jimmy Johnson. You'll have two young guns and Marcus Erickson and Alex Pelot. you still got Dario Franchini, Chip Ganassi. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of knowledge that's going to be going around that room. And, and, and I think Jimmy Johnson knows that at some point, He has to sit back and just listen and take it all in. So, um, Jimmy Johnson right there, who can get off to a good start? You know, it's 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 a rambling man's type schedule over the next couple of weeks. You leave here, you go to St. Pete next week. That's a street course, so it's a different type of feel, different type of atmosphere. 
Um, it's going to be a tough week on a lot of the crews and the, and the guys that drive the transporters got to go from Birmingham back up to Indianapolis, back down to St. Pete. Uh, and then you get back-to-back races at Texas and, um, you know, 90% of these big teams are going to be running their, their, their Indy 500 backup car at Texas. So you don't want to ruin that. You want to have a clean race, but you've got two races. You got a Saturday race and you got a Sunday race. So it's a jam packed next two weeks. I mean, when, when we go to bed tomorrow night or we go to bed two weeks from tomorrow night, we'll have four Indy car races already under our belt. And, uh, you know, Tom, it's important to get off to a great start because the points you, you you can't win the points championship over the next four weeks, but you can certainly lose it with um, you know four races, and then and then you get the month of May where you get qualifying, you get the Grand Prix, and you get the Indianapolis 500. So um, I, I would be shocked if the uh, if we didn't have a clear picture in the next four weeks of who is going to be in the championship contention, but we'll certainly have it over the next four races. Well, we've got one day, four hours and 17 minutes before IndyCar officially kicks off at the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama outside of the giant spider on the track. Talk with us about Barber Motorsports and how teams prepare for this road race. Yeah, I mean, Barber is fast. It's got sweeping turns. That that first lap will be exciting tomorrow because everybody kind of dives into that first left turn, and then you got to do a sweeping right-hand turn. So, um, you know, we'll see how the rookies um, go with it. You know, you've got Scott McLaughlin. You've got uh, Rohan Grossjean from Formula One, Jimmy Johnson. Um, there's going to be some aggressive guys. You know, Takuma Sato is going to be there because he was so good. Uh, Sato was so good uh, two years ago at Barber. So um, it's a great track. It's not. It's going to rain a little bit today, but for the most part, uh, it'll be clear and sunny tomorrow, which sometimes we've seen a lot of rain down at Barber, but it should be a great, great day for racing tomorrow. And, uh, you know, Joseph Newgarden's been the man there. He's, he's been pretty dominant. Uh, James Hinchcliffe gets the return of the track where he hasn't finished outside of the top ten in the last five races. So there's going to be a lot of guys gunning for that top spot. And I, I, I would honestly say you've got 12 to 15 drivers with a realistic chance to win tomorrow. Talking with Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast. Certainly, Dad covers a lot of IndyCar and a lot of stuff. Certainly catch out his podcast. We'll have it up on our social media. Let's catch up with some of the drivers and some of the stables as we uh, roll into the 2021 season. Let's talk a little bit about Andretti. Heard of uh, Auto Sports, obviously, Marco Andretti, the anchor driver there. But you got Colton Herd on that team as well. And, and you've got James Hinchcliffe, and you've got a number of other great, talented drivers uh, for Andretti. Uh, talk with us a little bit about Andretti as we roll into 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think with Marco, you know, we'll see how his mindset is different going into just running the Indianapolis 500. He's only running one race this season. Um, he's stepping back from full-time competition. So, you know, in an interview a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, my, my sole focus is now on the Indianapolis 500. It doesn't have to be about the rest of the schedule. I can solely focus on that one race, and, and I'll be rejuvenated, and I'll have the the energy that I need because I can put all my energy into the one race that I'm doing. Um, the rest of Andretti Autosport, I mean, I think it's a year where Colton Herta and Alexander Rossi have to contend. Um, Andretti Autosport as a whole in the shortened 2020 season just didn't have it. Uh, they just really weren't there. Alexander Rossi had some really tough luck. So I think you're looking for bounce backs from Colton Herta and Alexander Rossi. Uh, and then you throw Colton Herta or, you know, from Colton Herta, who's going to be in a, in a new ride. He's in a game bridge ride now, um, you know, and, it, and, and we'll see if he pairs well with that. And then you've got um, James Hinchcliffe, who is a guy that's coming back a little bit of a resurgence. I uh, spent yep. some time in the booth doing uh, 
doing part-time efforts the last two years. He's back full-time now. Good backing from Genesis. So we'll see if Hinchcliffe can, can get back to where he was uh, back in the mid-2010s. Well, absolutely. I love Hinchcliffe. He's a, I, I've had a chance to talk with him multiple times. Very personal guy. But he's just a fan favorite, and, and I, I, he's certainly one of my uh, favorites as a, as a fan of the race. And so I'm certainly uh, looking forward for good things from James Hinchcliffe. Let's talk about Sebastian Bourdais, A.J. Foyt uh, Enterprises in the number 14 Chevy. What are we looking for from him this year? Yeah, I wrote about this yesterday on my website. It's going to – launch today you know i'm hoping for a resurgence from um foyt enterprises you know they haven't they've had three podium finishes in the last 10 years they've got one win in the last 20 years they won with takuma sato back in 2013 before that it was Ayrton dare at kansas back in 2001 so it's been a it's been a long time but there's there's a new great sponsor in rocket um, you've got one of the one of the fastest, smartest drivers in the paddock as your number one guy. Um, you throw in two of the smartest guys in the, in the, in the series, and Charlie Kimball and J.R. Hildebrand in the month of May. Um, I think that's going to help them take that next step forward and hopefully compete for podiums and hopefully compete for wins. Bourdais has been good at the track; he's won there. Um, Bourdais is a guy that is going to be um, somebody who's going to be at the top of the speed charts on road and street courses. Can can they take that and make it into oval success? We shall see. But I think we can see a good resurgence here of AJ Foyt Enterprise in the season. Let's uh, talk about another fan favorite, especially here in Indianapolis. He's based here in Indianapolis. He's from Indianapolis. Ed Carpenter. Ed Carpenter racing number twenty Chevy. Uh, what are we looking for from him? Yeah, I mean we'll see with Ed when he starts with at Texas in two weeks. Um, he's got. Connor Daly running the road course is a fan favorite. Um, Connor needs some good results. I mean, Connor hasn't been on the top, hasn't been on the podium in a long time. Didn't have any top tens last year, so Connor's going to have to have a good step in the right direction coming up this year. And then you've got the second-year driver, Renus VK. We saw him wreck two weeks ago in the in the open test, or last Friday. It was the last Friday in the open test. And um, yeah, I believe you know, it was. But, you're right. But, but he's a guy that that is fast, and you know it. it Rena's DK is kind of like a point guard. It's kind of like Russell Westbrook. He only knows one boat, and that's go, 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 go. And when you when you take a step back and say, hey, man, let's settle you down, well, then he starts changing his, his driving style and second-guessing guessing himself. So um, we'll see what Ed Carpenter Racing can do this year. Um, but I'm excited for uh, Rena's DK. I think he's the next star in the sport. You know, uh, keep it on the fan favorite theme. Elio Castroneves is certainly one of the most well-known faces around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and Indianapolis uh, IndyCar. As a fact, he's Meyershank Racing. What can we expect from Elio Castroneves? Uh, in in you know, certainly we'd love to see him race, but you know, we've seen him kind of come and go over the last couple of years. What is on the agenda and roadmap for Elio Castroneves? I mean, I know I keep saying this, but it seems like resurgence is the word for a lot of these drivers heading into the season on how they are going to look at things and how they're going to bounce back. You know, everybody can use some some new energy. Everybody can use, um, you know, something coming off of a, of a bad 2020. And, you know, you, you think about Elio Castanavis. He's never won a championship. He went over to IMSA with Team Penske, won a championship with them. Um, now he comes back. Um, this this is not a bad car. This is not a car that's going to struggle. I think Elio's going to be in contention for some podiums. He's always going to be fast in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, I'm really looking forward to not only seeing what Elio can do, but how the knowledge and what Elio does 
as far as stepping up um, what he does to help Jack Harvey's career and move that entire team forward. Let's talk a little bit about Max Chilton, obviously with Carly Racing in the 59 Chevy. Yeah, you know, I mean, Max has been good. We'll see who goes on that track. I think Connor Daly will get that ride on the rest of the ovals outside of Indy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Max is just a guy that just consistent results to get that team better, I think, is what is what's uh, in the works for him. Because, look, he might not be in this ride next year. Carlin's going to have to look at different things. They've been with Max Chilton for two or three years now. Um, but Connor Daly has really taken that team to the next level when it comes to oval racing. So we'll see if that continues this year. You know, you mentioned Connor Daly. It's a good time to talk about Connor Daly. Uh, certainly, uh, with Ed Carpenter Racing, he's he's he, you use the word resurgence. I think we can uh, put that by his name as well. Yeah, like I just mentioned, you know, the thing with Connor is is just you know he hasn't had any top tens over the last couple of years. Um, his best career finish on a oval was fifth three years ago. He had he had a. Um, a podium back at Detroit back in 2016. So I mean, it's just it's time for Connor to go. I mean, you've got a, you've got technically a full time ride because I think he'll run the races on the ovals for Carlin. You've got a good race car at the 500 at Fred Carpenter Racing. That that 20 team it seems to be a little bit snake bitten on the road courses uh, over the last you know pretty much since they started pretty much since Mike Conway won back in 2012 at Long Beach. So um, you know with Connor it's just being consistent and, and gaining momentum throughout the entire course of the season. You know, we're going to see a familiar face again this year, and that's in Simona Del Silvestro, Silvestro, sorry, uh, with Peretta Autosports. He's, she's in the number 16 Chevy. Uh, good to see Simona back. Yeah, I mean, it's a one-off effort for the Indy 500. Um, it, it, it's, it's great to see the girl power side of things and, 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 and girls being able to advance. And, and what's been a pretty much all-male dominant sport, um, over the last you know century century and a half I, I actually wrote about this yesterday too the thing with Simona is is I would put her talent up against a lot of male drivers in the sport and she'll always get compared to Danica and all the other female drivers but I think she's better than a lot of the drivers a lot of the male drivers that we've seen over the last couple of years you know to use a NASCAR term you know they always say oh that that driver's a wheel man like no matter no matter what <laughs> car that person gets behind they can drive it i mean she's a real woman i mean she can get up there and she can challenge with the best of them and now she's going to have a really really probably her best shot to compete at indy because this is going to be a penske backed effort so she'll definitely make the field she'll definitely have the speed to compete for the top nine and she's been a consistent driver over her career she knows how to save her equipment i do have pretty high expectations for simona coming into the month of may you know, speaking of high expectations and fan favorite and no resurgence needed here, but the Iceman Scott Dixon, Chip Canassi Racing number 9 Honda, no introductions needed for this guy. He did it all, won it all. Scott Dixon going into 2021. I mean, what do you say? Like, it's, it, it's, it's almost a damn shame that whenever Scott Dixon does something awesome, we're just like, yep, cool. Another Scott Dixon being Scott Dixon. It's no big deal, right. you know. And when you stop and think about, you know, this is his 20th season. This will be his 20th season in, in Indy. Or excuse me, this will be his 20th season overall. His rookie year in IndyCar was a Chip Ganassi back in 2003. The guy's uber consistent. He's he's the best we've seen in our generation. He's a contender on dominant last year at the age of 43. He can be dominant again this year at age 44. 
Um, but I will say this. I, I love Scott Dixon to death. I will never have a bad word out of my mouth about Scott Dixon. But the competition of IndyCar this year is the best it's been since, I would say, 2017 when you had guys like Robert Wickens coming in. Um, th- th- it's going to be tough to win as many races as he did last year in dominant. Um, and if he does, if he puts – if he backs up his effort from last year and wins another championship, I think this will be the most impressive we've seen. Totally agree. I like his teammate, though, Marcus Erickson, uh, over there in the number eight Honda uh, there with Chip Ganassi. Uh, what, what, are we, what can we look for from Marcus this year? You know, Marcus, Marcus Erickson just reminds me of my dating life. You know, there's, there's weeks where you're like, this is going well and things are great. And then, like, the next week it's like, well, what happened? Like, everything that we were building momentum-wise, just I was dumped. Like, I'm in, you know, I don't know what's going on anymore. Like, you were great last week. This week, it's not going well. So, uh, Marcus Erickson just has to find consistency. Um, I'm really high on his other teammate, Alex Pillow. I think Alex Pillow is going to have a great breakout season in that Chip Ganassi number 10. For Marcus Erickson, uh, a successful season, land on the podium a few times and just show me some consistency. We're talking with Tony Donahue for the Tony D podcast. Got you for a few more minutes here as we as we break into the 2021 season. Any uh, uh, news as far as uh, Arrow Kits uh, tech, anything like that that's popped up over the last uh, during the off season that we not, might need to be aware of going into the 2021 season? Any changes in pit row, pit lane, pit rows, anything like that, sir? Um, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is what they kind of worked on a little bit um, in that Speedway last week. You know, basically Friday was an all-skate, everybody go out and do your thing. But Thursday was more of a controlled test with IndyCar. They wanted to test out being able to pass towards the front of the of the pack at the Indianapolis 500. You know, since they've changed over to this, uh, this side of things and the aero screen, uh, you know, we really didn't see a lot of passing on almost last year. Texas, there was literally no passing. Uh, that was a lot to do with the windscreen and a lot to do with the fact that it was a two-groove racetrack with the PJ1 sticky powder that they put down for NASCAR. Um, St. Louis, literally there was zero passing towards the front. So they're going to make they're going to continue to make tweaks and changes to hopefully make the, pay, the passing better this year on, on ovals. So Chevy uh, deals uh, guarantees a minimum of 35 car entry list for the Indy 500. Chevy looking to dominate in May this year, sir. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chevy was the Indy 500 winner two years ago. Last year it was Honda. Um, but what comes to mind was what Alexander Rossi said as a Honda driver was that two years ago, you know, he just lost out to Chevy when it came to horsepower on the, on the straightaways. Um, but then, then the Honda bounces back last year, finishes one, two, three, four at the Indy 500. So, um, you know, it just seems like it goes back and forth. When one makes a move forward, the other one has a counterattack. So we'll see what Chevy's counterattack is this year because, um, you know, Honda was dominant race day last year at the 500. So, you know, another Andretti driver, and I know you've had a lot of conversations with him. He's been fun to follow over the last couple of years. I saw an article in Racer this past uh, week uh, by Marshall. He wrote an article, and in that article, uh, uh, Alexander Rossi's basically – quote says anything less than the championship is unacceptable what do you think the chances of alexander rossi having a championship year this year is yeah i mean you got to put it all together week in and week out he didn't really have the consistency last year they really had some bad luck um i think he has the talent to do it he's got the car to do it 
Um, but, you know, the thing that I've kind of just learned with Alex over the last year or two is when this dude gets angry, it's fun to watch, but sometimes it bites him. And we saw that happen last year at the 500. So, um, you know, he's going to be in contention every race. Can he put it all together? Um, and you got to have a good 500 to be in the championship running. He's nine out of 10 times been pretty damn good at the 500. He was running third last year in one of the favorites before he got screwed over on a pit road penalty. Um, and then that kind of pushed them back. And, and when you're back in the field and your car's not set up for dirty air and for traffic, uh, it can step out on you. And that's exactly what happens. So um, Ross, he's going to be there. He's certainly going to be in championship contention. We'll see if he can finally put it all together. Tony, I know you've been out there at the track lots of times. So have, uh, have I. And, you know, it, certainly being here from Indianapolis, we take that track for granted. But one of the greatest tracks in racing at all, all over the world, is located down there at 16th in Georgetown. And while you're there, one of the things you must do while you're at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is go to the IMS Museum, which is located on the grounds right next to the track. Always have great stuff. Uh, this uh, year, they're going to be featuring a Rick Mears exhibit that will open up in the museum in May. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum will feature an exhibit honoring Rick Mears, the 30th anniversary of his record-tying fourth Indianapolis victory, uh, game, uh, which came after dueling M- Michael Andretti in the 1991 edition of the Greatest Spectacle in Racing. Mears' likeness is also the cast on the Borg Warner Trophy for night. 1979, 1984, and 1988. You can't say enough good stuff about Rick Mears. Yeah, Rick Mears is awesome. You know, he's a guy that I've interviewed many times. And and growing up, when I did, um, you know, right as I was getting into racing, he was retiring. So I never actually got to see Rick Mears race. But you obviously can go back on YouTube and watch all the races and to see how calm and collective that dude always was. And, and, And really, he reminds me of, you know, Alexander Rothman reminds me of him. He can be aggressive when he needs to. He can fight through things. He knows how to set up a car. He's super smooth. He's super fast. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to checking that, music, that that exhibit out. I was actually there yesterday doing some stuff. I've got some friends that work out there. So oh, I'll great. be one of the first in line when they release all the Rick Mears stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, his Indy 500 winning cars, which aren't in there. Most of those belong to the Penske Museum. But also some of the other things that he ran. You know, he was so great outdoors doing doing truck stuff. Um, you know, running the Baja, um, but but just the career that he had that, that spanned over three decades. Um, it'll be certainly something that any IndyCar fan will have to go check out. Well, I'll tell you what, if it's anywhere close to the greatness that the Mario Andretti exhibit was, you won't be disappointed at all. I really enjoyed that as well. Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast. Tony, thank you for joining us. Where can people find your work and masterpieces? What are you working on, sir? Yeah, at com is the new website. We'll have you we'll have you ready to go for Barber, Tony Indy on Twitter, and uh, check out the Tony D podcast. All right, buddy. Have yourself a good weekend. We look forward to your coverage. All right. Take care. Tony Donahue, the Tony D podcast. Love uh, having him on. Certainly, he's uh, very uh, well-rounded in a lot of uh, topics, but he certainly covers a lot with IndyCar and NASCAR. My name is Sean Marcos, El Presidente. IndyCar is back, rolls into uh, Barber Motorsports down in Birmingham. Paint me a Birmingham. Uh, 917-889-8986 is our digits. Mark that down. Keep that. Follow us on Twitter, at Twitter, at T-Balance on Twitter. And if you're listening to us here on the 
podcast, just hit subscribe, give us five stars because yeah, well, we we really are that pretty freaking awesome. Uh, and follow us on Facebook, The Balance. Just remember, our show is live every Saturday morning right here on Blog Talk Radio between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Eastern or where thereabouts, so depending on what's going on. Certainly, over the last uh, year or so, we've had some abbreviated schedules, but we also are hoping to be back at full speed uh, very, very soon. My name's Tom Marcus El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. <laughs>